Kane's Big Joe for Absolute Comfort, your trusted independent American Standard Air dealer. And owner Chris Wedekin sells the Mitsubishi Electric Mini Split, a great option for heating and cooling where ductwork can't be installed. If you have one of those homes that has baseboard heat or electric heat, ceiling cable heat, these can be specifically designed for those houses because in those houses it's very difficult to have them do all the construction and remodeling that goes with adding ductwork into those types of homes. Find out more by going to absolutecomfort.org. Absolute Comfort is your trusted independent American Standard Air Mitsubishi Electric Elite Ductless Pro Dealer. to you. It is 11.06 and welcome to the first day WIBC Sunday Magazine show. My name is Terry Stacy, and sitting next to me on my right is Denny Paul Smith. Terry Lynn, good morning. Good How morning you? to you. Beautiful day. Kylan's got some pictures of the sunrise this morning. Beautiful day. I certainly do. Do you know today is National Color Day? Is it? It is. And the colors were popping through on today's sunrise. You can see a picture of it posted at First Day on First Day with Terry Stacy on Facebook. And our listener shout out of the day is Gail Webb. Yay! Thanks, Gail. Thank, thank you, you Gail. thank you, thank you. I hope you have a good day. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for tuning in. If you follow, like, engage with us on Facebook, then maybe you can be the next listener shout out. We would love to have you. We really would. It is October 22nd. That is Kylan Talley producing today's show. I want to thank the Blue Angel Connect, a nonprofit organization in Hancock County. They've had a fundraiser that brought in uh, chips. The television show, Larry Wilcox and Eric Estrada. I think everybody had a fantastic couple of days with those guys. Are they still good looking guys? They're still very handsome gentlemen. And uh, help to raise a lot of money, too, for Blue Angel Connect. Their next mission is making sure that families that are kind of down on their luck have a happy holiday with gifts and coats and food. And blueangelconnect.org, if you'd like to get involved with that very small but powerful organization founded by a young lady whose dad is a retired law enforcement officer. So it's just a a really great family. Uh, Again, blueangelconnect.org. Org. And we've talked with them previously. We had an interview with some of we them. We did. And so I'll post that tomorrow as a little throwback for you. Okay. So please follow along, add those notifications so you can check out that podcasted interview that we did with them. Thank you. Thanks for doing that for us, Kylan. Uh, all right. So I wanted to mention quickly that, uh, yes, it is a Colts game day at Lucas Oil Stadium. And I, I have seen lots of Browns jerseys. Talk slow oh. for them. They're from Cleveland. Oh, 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 you know, I wonder if they make the drive or we are just becoming uh, a community of all different kinds of NFL fans. I because- had a partner who was a died in the wool. I mean, they grew up in Ohio, so they either had, you know, Cincinnati or they had Cleveland. But those Cleveland Brown fans, they're it's in their blood and it's not going anywhere. They're here. And I saw a lot of them. So uh, they're going to be, the roof is open. The window is closed. So dress accordingly. You know, I think Jim, he, I think he listens in on our on our show whenever I got mad about it. Yes, because I would get mad every Sunday because it was close. And here we are. I know. It's open. It's open. Window closed. Thanks, it's going to be chilly. Jim Ursay listens to Kyle and Tally. Something? He's a smart man. He's a Thanks, smart Jim. man. Uh, okay, so anyway, today you will see the team's new Indiana Knights alternate uniform. 
And this is a very cool look on it paper. It is. It's a darker blue. Uh-huh. It's got a, a it's lot a of black, black accents, black helmets, black accents. And I was, I started I to it. ask, how much do you think it costs to put a new uniform on a oh. player? You know what? Especially They'll make it the back team? 15 million times over because this is why they do it, so that we all go out and buy this cool new jersey. Oh, I see. And all the cool shirts and all of the merch, right? I bet it's good luck, too. Might be. Oh, maybe it will be. Knock on wood. Oh, knock on wood. We Black helmets are always cool. I think so, too. They don't show the wounds. I like them. Oh. <laughs> you know when helmets get all scratched oh, yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I don't know how many times they'll wear these uniforms, but that's what you'll see today. Also, several of the Colts players are taking part in the NFL's Heritage Program, and it's saluting their families' international roots. So along with the American flag, you will also see some of the players that will have on flags from other places, other countries. Uh, we are got, we've got for you today in the next couple hours, I'm moving quickly because we've got a lot of cool guests today, including the Black Hat Society of Historic Irvington. Are those we, the witches? Uh-huh. Oh, oh Kylan would fellow be, sisters. Uh, your fellow sisters. And Kylan, you should be part of this great nonprofit organization. Are they good witches They are or a sisterhood. They're good witches. All right. But they make uh, a splash wherever they go. I mean, it's really, they are really a, a great bunch of witches. So we will talk uh, to them and also today, in case you're wondering, is National Make a Dog's Day, and it is also National Mother-in-Law's Day. So love your mother-in-law. Okay. So and- I, I have a veterinary student that's a good friend, and I wrote out to her because Ellie Dog had rubbed in some other dog poop or something. Uh-huh. Right. So I said, um, Fiona, why does a dog rub into that? And she goes, I don't know, maybe some scenting thing. Dogs are weird. You know, so at least she was honest. She really yeah. didn't know. She said it might be yeah. a scenting thing, but she be. goes, dogs are weird. Dogs are weird, but we love them and we can't live without them. Uh, it is also my mom's birthday. Happy Aww. birthday, mama. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, mom. You're the best. And let's see what else. Oh, tomorrow. Oh, yes. Tomorrow is National Horror Movie Day. We want to talk about horror movies. Denny loves them. I, I do not love them. them. Well, you certainly should. He likes anything with chainsaws. Oh, those we, are scary. We bring that up because this is kind of cool. We're going to talk to Eli Den- Denson coming up. And Eli is a student at IU. And they're the Jacobs School of Music. And he wants to be a composer uh, for scary films. And he's got a lot of creative thoughts about, I mean, you just, it, the music is everything to me in a scary movie. Mm-hmm. I it's, love it. Oh, it's it builds hard. tension, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, not just the music, but a lot of different horror movies have won various awards for their costume, their Sound makeup. Sound effects. A lot of different things. And did you know that only 18 horror movies have won Oscars in the Academy Awards 92 year history? Actually, really? I think that's, a, I think that's, well. Do you consider Jaws a horror movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. But that's only including the Academy Awards. Night- There's plenty of other awards. Nightmare on Elm Street? Possibly. Silence Halloween. of the Lambs was the only horror movie oh, to win the Best Picture. That was spooky. All the others are Best Sound, Best Art Direction, Best Actor. What about music? Of, those. of course, yeah. Best and music? Sound. Mm-hmm. Best Sound? Oh, that's Sound. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, number one, when it comes to the sound, the following, the, what I'm going to read to you, scary pieces of music ever. This is scary pieces of music ever. Um, Number one is Psycho. Number two is Jaws. Number three is The Thing. Number four, Rosemary's Baby. Number five, The Shining. Number six, Ghost. Mm -hmm. Seven, The Exorcist. Eight, Beetlejuice. Nine, Under the Skin. Don't know it. And number 10, The Omen. 
There's your top 10 scariest movies ever. Anyway, we're going to talk to Eli Dennison. That's coming up. Let's do it now. Let's take a break. Uh, Glad you're here with us here on the first day. 93 WIBC. Ninety-three WIBC. It is Terry Stacy scary movies with Halloween right around the corner. I've been loaded up on scary movies for about four weeks now. <laughs> I've started a little early. <laughs> and when you think about your favorite horror film and what it would be like without the music, it would be so different. You think about Jaws. You think about Psycho. The music is such a part of every film. And this is really cool because joining us now is Eli Denson. He's a film composer and student at IU Jacobs School of Music. How are you, Eli? Hey, doing well. How about you? I'm good. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I'm from Decatur, Alabama. It's in northern Alabama near Huntsville. How did you decide to come to IU School of Music? I kind of grew up listening to soundtracks, and my parents are both just huge film geeks. And so I grew up, it's funny you mentioned Psycho, because they're both huge Hitchcock fans. And so (laughs) ever since a young age, I've been just steeped in the tradition of the classics of film and with Hitchcock and Spielberg and whoever it may be. It just very early in my life, there was this just this passion for film music. Once I moved to to Mississippi State University for my undergraduate program, I just got the chance to, to really exercise those different and put into practice that love and passion for film music. So that's why I'm here. Do you gravitate towards a certain genre of movies? You know, I do really love horror films. I also, I just love thrillers. Anytime that the the film can manipulate you in that way and cause that, the, the kind of the anxiety of the moment that the that the character is feeling, I, I've always just been um, attracted to. Do you have a favorite horror film that the music is just so powerful that you would watch it over and over again simply because the music is so powerful? If I had to pick one, honestly, I would probably say uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, it's um, on the list. It's on the top 10 list of scariest movies because of the music. It's so effective. Wendy Carlos's score is just absolutely um, so effective in that. Have you done anything yet? Yes. uh, It's funny enough, I'm actually working on um, a horror film for, there's a a student here at IU that's uh, working on his thesis film right now, and it actually happens to be a horror film. Um, And so this is my first, uh, I've done, you know, projects for class and everything for different Uh, different scenes from horror movies, but this is my first uh, full short film that I'll be scoring that is uh, in the horror genre. Tell us how this works. When a film comes to you already done, is that right? Or do you do it in pieces? How does it work? Yeah, it kind of depends on when the director comes to me in the process. With this this director, I've uh, had the fortunate opportunity of already having a a prior relationship uh, with him. And so he was able to bring me on right after he had just finished the script and before they've actually started shooting, which uh, I think the earlier on that the composer can be brought on, it can really serve the film in a lot of ways. Because since my director gave me the script, I was able to go ahead and 
and write some different demos and some um, some pieces that that he can kind of listen to and give me feedback on. So it gives me more time as the composer to to make alterations as necessary, but. It's also super useful for for the director as they're cutting scenes, as they're editing the film after they after they do the the shooting. And then also there's plenty of stories, too, of them using the music that the composer wrote for even the actors to time their movement with. Probably the most the most popular example I can think of that is for 2019 film The Joker. Mm-hmm. Hilder Gutnadadier wrote a couple different cues and everything before they started filming. And there's this famous bathroom sequence where Joaquin Phoenix is kind of doing this um, very creepy dance yeah. that he's doing in the bathroom. And they actually were playing Gutnadadier's music underneath the scene <laughs> for him so that he was able to time and choreograph his movements to the music. Wow. The music can make it scarier. Oh, it, it 1,000% can. Yeah, it's it's amazing how the psychology of that, of where music is, and also almost just as importantly, where the music isn't, how much of an effect that can have on us as the audience. What's difficult about composing music for a horror film? Or- yeah, I think one of the most difficult things is trying is how do we avoid cliche, but also like use what works of the tropes in the genre to better serve the film because a a lot of horror music you know it uses things that are the pitches may be out of tune or there may be things that like imitate a scream or whatever it may be and these are you know proven things that work they have a, a scientific result that can be measured on the audience but it's like how do we use those tropes in a new way uh and incorporate them so that we're not just repeating history and not repeating all the scores. And I think something too that's so interesting about that you can kind of take liberty too with music in the horror genre is what we talk about that's called spotting. Um, So basically all spotting is in film music is where you decide that the music comes in and where it comes out. I think that that plays such a crucial role. And then also where the music is doing what. So, you know, back to The Shining with Wendy Carlos's score, It's so unnerving because, you know, we expect for these big like stabs or these kind of scream sounds to always occur on like a jump scare or something that, you know, where there's a a quick edit that we're trying to scare the audience. But something that's so terrifying about that score is that there will be these scenes where Danny is just riding his tricycle around (laughs) the Overlook Hotel. And that in and of itself is not a scary thing, but you'll hear these different stabs from the orchestra when the the camera is just relentless and just stays on Danny riding his tricycle. And so it it throws this cognitive dissonance in for the viewer. And then um, to contrast that, there will be various scenes in The Shining where there'll be like a zoom in on Jack Nicholson's face when he's going deranged with the the Kubrick stare and the music just stays static, just stays the same. And so it's this this um, experimental, not only um, in the the sound that it's creating, but in how the music is incorporated, that I just think makes horror such a fascinating genre for um, film music. Me too. Think about Jaws, and you're actually creating music for the shark. Right. I mean, that's brilliant. It's just brilliant. You know the shark is there. You don't even have to see him, but you hear the music. Right. I love it. it. It's so primordial. You know, it's just, it's two notes, but it's, 
it's so effective in how it, it just, you, like you said, you just automatically know that even though we may not know what is lurking, there is something lurking yeah. beneath the waters. Okay, before we let you go, so what are you going to do? What's your plan? So my plan is to move to Los Angeles after this. So my my program will commence in a new program that they've started in L.A. Uh, called Jacobson L.A., where they send me and about um, seven other of my colleagues. They're doing both an international cohort and then for United States citizens. And we'll get to go to L.A. and we'll be participating in a course out there with a television composer. And we'll also have a talent agent that works for different film composers that's just going to be working with us and showing us the ropes of Los Angeles. And uh, we'll get to be immersed in the the film music scene for that full eight weeks uh, right before I graduate. So that's going to be an excellent experience. Can we know about the film that's going to be coming out with your score yet? Or should we just wait and hang on and we'll get back to you? So the film is called Laid Bare. It's directed by Morgan Ludwig. And so um, it's a a student thesis and I'm hoping that it's going to be premiered at some various uh, film festivals in the area and everything once once we get it finished and we wrap with shooting and all. Okay. Eli Denson, he's a film composer, elidenson.com. Eli is an innovative composer known for his unique implementation of texture and orchestration in his music. He is currently a student at IU Jacobs School of Music. He'll be graduating in the spring, and we cannot wait to see what happens next for you. Thank you for talking about scary movies and the music with us today. I- Thanks so much, Terry. I appreciate it. It is 11.26. Fun Jaws fact. The shark model used to film Jaws was named... Bruce. Bruce. After Steven Spielberg's lawyer. Did you know that the film composer, John Williams, who did that score for Jaws, he also did plenty of other films, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, Mm. nine of the Star Wars films, and went on to win Oscar for Best Music and Original Dramatic Score for that. Pretty cool. Wow. Pretty awesome. He came to Indianapolis and performed with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra about three years ago. Did we he? Got, we that got to see him. You would not believe the ovations that man got. People <sighs> just loved him. I bet so. Uh, all right. Before we take a break, I want to mention this. An Indiana centenar- centenarian. Did I say it right, Denny? A hundred-year-old person? Yeah. About to celebrate another birthday. And I wanted to know. I want you to know how you can help her, too. Her name is Inez Clevenger, and she turns 108. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. 108 Born years old. Born in 1915? October 28th is her birthday. Oh, my and gosh. And the place that she calls home is asking us to send birthday cards to make that day very special oh. for her. So it's the Heritage Assisted Living Facility in Union City. And uh, can we post this maybe, Kylan, on yes, our Facebook please. page? Yeah. The address is 204 S-T-A-U-D-T Drive. I'm going to do that. Uh, look for Heritage Assisted Living Union <laughs> Facility in uh, Union City. 108. Terry yeah. Lynn. Union you think City. we'll make it that far? Oh, my goodness. I can only hope. I always said that if I lived to 110, I'd be able to see the, the next return of Halley's Comet. It's uh, due when I'm going to be 110. Look. I mean, look. We are she living can do in it. It's we incredible. Can do it. 108. Hey, and, and happy birthday to my niece, Dr. Mary Carver. She's the head of internal medicine at Community North. Sorry, Mary. I forgot. I remember the day you were born, though. Also honoring Jeff Cardwell sent us this, World War II hero Bob Pedigo. He celebrated his 100th birthday this past week as well. And we're going to post a couple of addresses for you in case you'd like to send some birthday cards to those two folks. Uh, It is the first day. We're glad you're here with us on a cold Sunday. It is 1128. We'll be back on 93 WIBC. 
October can't help but get every kid and almost every adult thinking about candy. And we here on the first day got to talking about how candy has changed over the years. Did you ever think about the research and development that must go into the candy business? I mean, how do you come up with new ways to sugar up the population? It's a good question, and it's one I'm going to ask our next guest, Kurt Vandermeer, who is the CEO and the financial leader behind the success of endangered species chocolate right here in Indianapolis. Kurt's in his 18th year with the company, and he became the sole owner earlier this year. Kurt, thanks for taking time out of your busy season to be with us. Danny, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Kurt, while you've been the CEO of Endangered Species Chocolate, the company has become one of the top-selling chocolate brands in the natural category. Now, that sort of thing doesn't just happen by putting out the same chocolate year after year. It happens with some creativity. So how do you come up with new ideas for Endangered Species Chocolate? Danny, great question. It's a combination of two disciplines. It's the art and it's the science. So let's look at the science. We can certainly look at our portfolio and say, are we overweighted, underweighted in certain items? For example, maybe we have too many products that are incorporating fruit. So we want to develop some products that incorporate nuts or caramel. So there's the portfolio exam. You can get much more scientific and explore the concept of uh, jobs to be done. This is whereby we're looking at what is the job that we want our product to do for someone. Maybe that is someone is looking for a treat. Maybe that is someone is looking for a reward. They're looking for a gift. They're looking for something that's going to fit within their dietary restrictions or their nutritional allotment that they're going to give each day. That's That's pretty cool. science. All right. uh, Now let's flip over to the art side of this. We can look at culture. We can look at trends what's happening not just in the food space, but also what's happening in maybe the beverage industry. We also recognize that at times the culture is going to dictate what the consumer will be tolerating. For example, in times of great chaos, a consumer wants something that brings them comfort. So perhaps during chaotic times, we don't want to introduce a blend of different ingredients or different flavors that are kind of outside of of the mainstream. But it's looking at both art and science that helps us inform what should be the next product. I am dumbfounded. I had no idea. I thought it was just about taste. Well, is it a specific team or do all the employees participate in this? You seem to have this down. I'm impressed, brother. Well, the reason, Denny, I can say that is because I have a great team behind me. Led by our chief revenue officer, Whitney Bembenek, Purdue University graduate out of their food science program. But it is a blend of those that have the marketing discipline, those that have the operations discipline, those that have the finance discipline. And at the end of the day, we are all consumers as well. So we bring those disciplines to the table, but we also bring our own taste buds to the table, our own preferences. It's a collection of all of us that begin the process of looking at commercialization of a product once kind of an idea has been generated. I think it's interesting that you brought up using the chocolate bars as a gift, which is what we do. Now, I snag some of the gifts. We might buy three or four, half a dozen bars, and then I'll snag one of them. But when you're trying to discern whether or not a product is going to be good or not, do you just test it amongst yourselves or do you use focus groups? 
We do both. We would look at focus groups to help us kind of center in on that jobs to be done. We'll taste our own product and our own creation that we've come up with. And we will also then go to a very scientific method, having consumers come and taste what we've developed, see if they can even tell the difference. We might line out three different products two of which are the same, one is slightly different, and see if they can pick out the one out of that three that is different. That's the most scientific method we know. Have there been any uh, bombs, any stinkers? Of course, Danny. Over 18 years, we've had a lot of bombs that have blown up, things that have not made it out of our focus group, things that maybe are just beyond our capabilities. But there's also been times where we thought we nailed it. We thought absolutely (laughs) this is what the market is going to want. And the market told us, no, you didn't. Many of those times it has been when we have tried to copy something else rather than be original. Maybe we saw a trend and we said, we're going to jump in on that trend. And that was just the wrong decision. We never put out a product that we're certainly not proud of the taste. So it's always going to taste well. It's just maybe the market wasn't looking for another alternative, something that has already been out on the market, and we just tried to duplicate it or try to bring something that was just a little bit better. Joining us right now is an old friend, Kurt Vandermeer, who's the CEO and financial leader of Endangered Species Chocolate. All right. How about the prices of your ingredients? Have they been stable or have they been rising? Oh, Danny, they have been rising and we don't see an end to it at all. Cocoa market has periods of great increase. All of our suppliers as well are dealing with the unexpected rise in labor cost. Freight is beginning to stabilize a little bit, but we certainly have had to adjust our prices as we have seen across the entire industry. I look for the days in which we can say prices are beginning to stable, but I don't foresee that in the next 12 months or so. I've always been impressed. There's three things we all offer, service, quality, and price. And your service and quality has always been impeccable. But I want to drill down because anybody can make a product cheaper. So let's talk about these ingredients. You have a new milk chocolate with coconut and almonds. Now that reminds me of Almond Joy, but what's the difference between your chocolate and let's say Almond Joy? Well, I would encourage the listeners, if they really want to know that, to go and look at the back label of each of those products. So I think there are two distinct differences between our products and an Almond Joy. Let's just start with the first one is the number of ingredients in an Almond Joy far and above exceeds the number of ingredients in, in our product. You're such almost a, ge- you're such a gentleman. You're, you're, almost, you're such a gentleman. So you're saving it's a little bit uh, chemically or pharmaceutically enhanced. Is that what you're telling me? Denny, that's what you said. Okay. Uh, and I haven't disagreed with you so far. <laughs> What's the best-selling endangered species product of all time? There are three products that bounce around number one first, and they're all three at different cocoa content. Our number one seller for a long time has been 88%, and that's all that it is. It is pure chocolate, no ingredients added, highest cocoa content that we use, the most bitter tasting chocolate. I know I'm talking to the consumers that love that. They say, give me the highest cocoa content. 88% is the smoothest dark chocolate 88% you'll ever have. Number I've had two, that. Now, no, wait a minute. I've had that product, and we're just going to call it a dark chocolate. What I'm impressed is it's not chalky in any way. It really is a delightful dark chocolate. What's number two? Drop down to 60% chocolate, but now we're going to combine that with luscious caramel and sea salt. 
that is becoming a rising. Remember what I talked about? Yeah. We know that when consumers experience chaos, they run to something that <laughs> they know. Chocolate and caramel is what they know. It is that ooey gooey, uh, you know, caramel dripping down the side of your mouth. Oh, boy. Good. That is number two. And then number three, we'll finish that with what I always refer to as our base chocolate. We do a lot of products within the 72% cocoa content. This one combines almonds with sea salt as well. You can see kind of almonds rising to the top as well. But that's our mainstay. That's what uh, my wife asked for me to bring home at times. Almonds and sea salt with 72% dark chocolate. I love it. Uh, Kurt, before I let you go, I know you have been a driving force in making it possible for your company to donate over $3.1 million to conservation partners in the last five years, including your help for numerous conservation programs through its partners, including implementing the anti-poaching efforts to protect African elephants with the Elephant Crisis Fund, uh, discovering that new shark species, uh, bring back the pollinators campaign. Thanks for making the world a better place and with such wonderful chocolate. And happy Halloween to you too, brother. Denny, thank you. Always a pleasure to be able to talk with you and also to be able to talk about chocolate. Oh, I like that conversation, Danny Paul. Wow. But was your mouth watering when watering he's talking about the ooey like gooey? crazy. Ugh. You should see some of the pictures on their Facebook page. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The amount of recipes that they make with their chocolate chips, their other cho- types of chocolate. Delicious. 20. Big Joe and I got a chance to go and yes. actually make chocolate there at their no factory kidding. or their 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 place. I and was about to say that. It's so how, much fun. How old the equipment was. Now they've modernized oh some gosh, of it, but absolutely. some of the equipment was really old. The, the, just the smell. Oh yeah. <laughs> when you walk into Did the you have to put on the white hat and the, the white, white cow. Cow. <laughs> thing? It was so much fun. But yeah, you know uh, what? Everything has cost more, as you all know, this year. And uh, it looks like, according to the National Retail Federation, per person spending up as we plan to spend a record $108.24 each, up from the previous wow. record of $102, or $102. A lot of that money, some of it, goes to buying our pets' costumes. Hmm? Mm. Food, food, and candy. Can you get a costumes cost- for adults? Can you get a costume on pets? your on your dog? I couldn't get a costume no, on my I dog. I couldn't. But we'd love to see yours. We'd love to see yours. We'll post something mm-hmm. and see if you'll send us a picture because it brings me lots of joy to hey, see animals in costume. Make, over the a, dog's day. make, make a, do- a dog's day. It is a make a dog's day. <laughs> All right. And Terry Lynn's mother's birthday. That's and my mom's birthday. Uh, okay. Listen, uh, Denny Smith's going to be back with us because we've got investing sense coming. Uh, Oh, uh, put your big boy oh, okay. boat boots on, big girl boots on, because it's not good news. It is no. 11.45. 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Denny. You've got a friend in Denny. We really should just sing the whole thing. When the road looks it's fine with me, you guys. But you've got investing sense. I got investing sense. They'll put you in a warm We've got the best <laughs> listeners. When I when people take it uh, take issue with some of the Denny? things I say, they send me emails. I got an email from Jesse all the way from Atlanta, Georgia this week. Good morning, Jesse. Jesse says, Denny, 
you get seem to be getting hot and bothered about the treasury bond yield. Mm. He says, I don't see what the big deal is, and won't the government save us anyway? Well, oh, that's a lot oh, of faith. Oh, that's a lot of faith. Anyway, here's the here's the issue, Jesse. Two and a half years ago, a treasury bond was paying a half, a, half to 1%. Let's just say it was paying 1%. Today, that same bond is now paying 5%. And so what you need to know, Jesse, is it's like a teeter-totter. As the rates go up, the value of the bonds that that are already issued go down. And what's happening is those 1% bonds, the value has just been decimated. Now, Terry, it's like this. If you buy a bond that is paying 5% right now, it's a $1,000 phase, why would you want to trade that for a 1% bond? Oh, what, I wouldn't want to do it. No. See, a 5% bond gives you $50. A 1% bond gives you $10 a year. Right. So. So what? That seems so what like happens, very logical well, for okay, just a regular so, Joe like now, me. That's right. Well, a regular Jesse like you. Now, Jesse, here I want you to listen. All of the banks that bought these bonds because they were the safest of safe investments, they bought these 1% bonds and they put them in their portfolio. They paid $1,000 each for them. All of those bonds right now are maybe worth 50% or maybe 40% of what they bought them for. Now, if they hold them to maturity, they'll get their money back. But they need money right now because everybody's spooked about the interest rates. So what's happening is people are pulling money away from their banks and they're going into money markets because they get a higher yield. All right, so the bank then needs to pay them, so they need to sell some of their assets. So imagine you got a $1,000 bond that you think if you hold it till maturity, it's worth $1,000, but you have to sell it now at garage sale, fire sale prices at $400 or $500. And that's what happened this year, you know, to Silicon Valley Bank, to all these banks. There were four big ones, First Republic, and those four banks went bust, and we lost more money in those four banks than we did all of the banks during 2008, 2009. So Jesse, my brother, it's a big deal. Treasury bonds are a debt, and they are a debt of the United States, and we can't keep printing money in order to have people buy our bonds right now. We have to go to – the 10-year is going to go over 5%. We're right at 5%. It'll go over that. And at the same time, all of the people that have been holding these 1%, 2%, 3% bonds have said, to hell with this, I'm out. And they're selling them, and the only people that are buying them is the Federal Reserve. So this is a debt monster, and it appears that the debt bubble is bursting. So what does what a debt ca- monster look like? Debt monster is about two hundred and fifty quadrillion dollars. Sounds nasty. I don't to even me. know how to, how many zeros that is. Well, it's one fifth of a quintillion <laughs> dollars. I mean, the, the derivatives that are built into these things are really kind of scary, and. So I will say that sometime in the next couple months, maybe into the first quarter of 2024, all these chickens are coming home. Mm. So this is where, and I told Jesse this, I said, Jesse, you better learn what self-reliance is all about. And I'm not talking about self-sufficiency You know, all these people that head for the hills and they want to get in a cabin and get away from people. No, that's self-sufficiency where you have to make everything on your own. I'm not into that crap. But I am into self-reliance, and self-reliance means that you have to lower your exposure to things like definancialization, such as what we're facing, because there's going to be a lot of instability. Imagine a bank. Well, the Bank of America. Bank of America lost $50 billion because everybody pulled out their money. They had to cash in some of these bonds, and somebody takes the loss, and in this case, it was the bank. So there are some 
things that you need to do. You know, get your skills set up, start at home. These are the things you need to do. Now, this is known as, you know, forced frugality, which is going to be coming at us. Our great-grandparents lived through it. Our grandparents lived through it. And it looks like we're going to be living through it, too. But you can do some things. Lower your expenses now. Lower your needs. Lower your expectations. Lower your obligations. It's easy enough to get um, enough of whatever you need if you don't need very much. And that doesn't mean you have to go on a, on a, you know, a, a low carb diet or just eggs and everything else. Just use <laughs> your like head. <laughs> Eliminate as much of your debt as possible. This debt has to be paid back at 100 cents on the dollar. They can, you can take out more and it, on your credit cards, it's 22%. So that makes those treasury bond yields look pretty crummy. A lot of people are buying, you know, debt on credit cards because that looks like a pretty good return. But there's going to be a lot of default. You need to have plans in place to respond to all the challenges that you think would never happen in America. What happens if there's not, uh, not shipping? You know, what happens if, if our oil goes up so much in price that the diesel goes up and shipping costs go up double and triple. That is all possible in a debt bubble like we're facing. But it all goes back to our federal government. And those bums have spent so much money that can only be paid for with debt. And each time debt is paid, all the, the debts from five and six and seven years ago become more and more worthless. So sorry for the bad news, Jesse. Thanks for listening. And if you don't like what I said, Jesse, you've still got that number. It's Denny at WIBC.com. Anybody can write him a letter. I'll respond. I respond to to everyone. Tell me where I'm wrong. Wrong, or if you've got a question and uh, whatever it may be, Denny, Denny's Mister Know It All in our room. No, no, don't say that. Plumbing. He's a a master gardener. Plumbing, home stuff. I mean, and then obviously finances uh, and. I think I've had it all. But I'm, that a very, is everything. I'm a very humble man, but He's a humble I, man. I can smell this one coming and it ain't good. Thank you, Danny. Yeah. Danny Smith with Investing Sense every week at this time, right here on the first day. Coming up, we've got another hour to go. Hope you'll stick around. The Black Hat Society of Historic Irvington. We start out the next hour with one of the witches. They do good stuff. News is next. Thanks for joining us on the first day. 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.